0: you what i want what i really really want no,
1: no no we've done that one we're supposed to do the national anthem
0: why <laughs> hello <laughs> welcome to chronically Narnia, a podcast in which we discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, uh, books in the wrong order, of course, because that's how we do. Um, And today we are discussing chapter nine of The Horse and His Boy, titled Across the Desert. Uh, I am a squeak, 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 blinding glare and a headache, also known as Kristen. And with me today is my co-host...
1: A mouthful of grass.
0: you're a savory bite. <laughs> also known as Chris. Chris, welcome to the podcast, listeners. Chris. I feel like you me? cheated.
1: You had three things. Like um, you.
0: Well, it's it's one sentence. I mean, if I want, like, it's in my re- it's in my uh, summary. So when we get to our to my summary, you'll see that I uh, cut the list in le- in in half. Uh huh. So I'm this list of things, but I cut it in half. There you go. I only took half the list.
1: You're just defying convention all over the place, aren't we? I am. Uh, so, hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank How are you. you?
0: I'm doing well. Got some good news today. <laughs> had a, I mean, it's your news, really, but we got some good news today. And uh, locked my keys in the house. That was fun. Um, had to had to go find someone to store my groceries for me for a while and uh just
1: a random stranger on the street you know yeah yeah hey, hey, you, got a, you got a freezer i can borrow real quick
0: <laughs> so you know some random family member who mm-hmm. loves me um thank you so much and uh yeah cool that's it so, <laughs> i'm doing well how are you doing
1: doing good like i said got some good news uh got a got a new job today that i've been you know wanting for a while uh the, the podcast just is not paying the bills. I'm sorry, guys. Like, I th- mean, th- thanks yeah. for your Patreon contributions, but it's just not enough. Uh, next Still
0: week. only covering half of the hosting fees. Yeah.
1: Ne- next week we'll do our pledge drive, and we'll, you know, we're trying to hit 10000 a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> trying real hard.
0: It's funny because we get $4 a month from Patreon. That's all.
1: <laughs> um, but, yeah, other than that... Uh, yeah, doing good. As I mean, this
0: may be a good time to announce that there is actually a Patreon page for us. I, yeah, uh, but we don't, we've never actually, actually talked about that. We don't offer anything for real on it. But if anyone is interested in supporting us with uh, no reciprocity and nothing in return for it, well, we've been
1: talking about that. And the more that I think about it, like, so originally we had, we had to, to peel back the curtain a little bit here on the podcast. We had talked a little bit about projects that we could do for our Patreon, and one of them was my idea of uh, rewriting A Game of Thrones as a children's book.
0: Mm, yep, which, that was an interesting idea.
1: Which we have talked a bit about with uh, with our patrons um, and the people that support the podcast, and there was a suggestion uh, to go a different direction, which the more I think about it, the more I think is, is kind of fun and exciting. Tell me which about is, it. Uh, rewriting uh, The Lion, the Rich, and the Wardrobe as an adult novel. And that was the thing that uh, Steve threw at us, that suggestion, is uh, turning it into an adult book, which I think might be a lot more fun. Hmm, yeah. And no, I, that could definitely be I, fun. And I have some ideas for that. And uh, I wanted to throw that out there to the listeners. I, I think after this we should create, like, an Instagram poll or something uh, between these two Twitter options. Poll.
0: Twitter polls. Yeah. Twitter polls are easy. Do we get tweets?
1: Do people um, tweet at us? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, a Twitter poll.
0: Two of them have.
1: We'll create social media polls between these two options, and I think, uh, at least, I really want to do one of them. Yeah. If if nothing else, uh, for our Patreon followers and, you know, loyal listeners. But that's those are ideas that we're throwing around, so let us know what you think about that. We'll give you some contact information at the end of the show. Anyway, we should get into the what would you What
0: would here. you pay for from us? Anyway, I mean, um, this is
1: technically illegal because we can't make money off of this either way. But eh. <laughs> it would be a be a very gray area.
0: I mean, at that point, it's parody, though, and it's covered under parody law.
1: We can't use the name, though. We gotta we gotta come up with a completely different name, and we gotta change the names of all the characters. Um, but other than that,
0: the stories of Rania. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. We
0: anyway,
1: we'll nail out the details, hammer out <laughs> the details later. Um, anyway, Kristen.
0: Uh so when we start <clears throat> so when we start doing this podcast, we begin each episode with a summary of the chapter. So as we're reading, we choose five sentences that we pick out of the context of the chapter and try to tell the plot of the chapter with those sentences. So Um, Chris, do you want to go ahead and read your summary first? Give us your five-sentence summary.
1: Sure. Uh, I will point out that in both the summary and the rewrite, this chapter is way easier than the past couple have been, and I was really (laughs) thankful for it. Uh, But here we go. Summary time. She tore herself away from her friend's affectionate embraces, stepped into a punt, cast off, and a moment later she was out in midstream with a huge real moon overhead and a huge reflected moon deep, Deep down in the river, under the moonlight, the sand in every direction, and as far as they could see, gleamed as if it were smooth water or a great silver tray. They were almost in despair before, at last, they came to a little muddiness and a tiny trickle of water, through softer and better grass. We've got to keep ahead of that rapidash. But we're not in Arkanland yet," said Erebus.
0: Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's my five-sentence summary. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Goodbye, said Erebus, and I thought your dresses were lovely. (laughs) But she managed to find the same road that Shasta had found and came just as he had done to the end of the grass and the beginning of the sand and looked like him to her left and saw the big black tombs. Erebus looked round, and there, right enough, was Shasta, who had come out of hiding the moment he saw the groom going away. On again, trot and walk and trot. Jingle, 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 squeak, squeak, squeak. Smell of hot horse, smell of hot self, blinding glare, headache. The valley itself with its brown cool river and grass and moss and wild flowers and rhododendrons was such a pleasant place it made you want to ride slowly. Okay.
1: You went in a very different direction than I did, but I don't hate yours. Yeah, I wanted I mean,
0: to I wanted to bring I mean like
1: some sensory details. You've got some
0: Yeah, a good portion of this chapter is just them trudging across the sand and like that
1: Trudge, trudge, trudge.
0: Yeah, the trot and walk and trot and jingle 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 like that sentence gives the entire weight of what you need to know about this. Like other than the fact that they're trying to beat rabbit Ash there and they might not be on the shorter path, just the easier path. Mm-hmm. Like all of that says like, yeah, I mean, this is what you need to know. You need to know that Erebus met up with Shasta again and mm-hmm. that the four of them ended up in the Valley.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that's basically what happens in this chapter. So we're going to, uh, so we're gonna wrap it up right there, uh, Chris. Uh, you wanna go <laughs> ahead and do your rewrite? Yeah, this is gonna be an interesting one because, um, like I said, like that is the breakdown of the chapter. We have Erebus escaping the city. She goes out through the water door, where like you know probably waves high to a business fish as it comes in. <laughs> um, she you know goes to the tombs, finds Shasta, finds the horses. They set off. They cross the desert. They find an opening in the rocks and some water, and that's where we end the chapter. Yes. And there is, and I am disappointed. Like, not to get into my chapter, like, summary, or um, not summary, rating system this early, but I'm really disappointed in this.
0: The, because, what are you disappointed in? Because
1: I, this threw me a fur loop because I, to those listeners who aren't aware, I've never read this book before. Um, first time through it, and I was assuming, we're about halfway through the book, and I was assuming that in the next several chapters were going to be just this epic journey they have across the desert and, like, trials and tribulations they have and whatever they encounter out there.
0: No, they like, rapidash said it would take him two yeah, days to get there And it then across. at the end yeah. of the book,
1: then we'd have, like, a few chapters of, oh, they made it to Arkanland and Ernia, et cetera, et cetera, here's resolution. I did not expect them to, number one, finish the entire desert, the entire journey that we've been planning for half the book over within a single chapter— And nothing even happens. (laughs) Like, well, they're not
0: done with the journey across the desert, because if you look at the map, the map shows that they've made it to the valley here, which is still at least a third of their journey across the (sighs) desert is left. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just like this, this, this whole thing that we've been like foreshadowing and that we've been leading up for and preparing for and then talking about going across the desert and just suddenly, oh, they're across the desert. It was boring and hot. And sand was everywhere, and it's coarse and irritating, and that's what I hate about it so much. Yep. And that was it. We have no...
0: Shasta has bare feet, and he can't walk in the hot sand. Yeah, we
1: have no encounters in the desert. We don't see anything weird. There was a rock.
0: It's even on the map.
1: nothing, Nothing attacks them. Like, they don't, like, you know, encounter any strange or weary travelers... Uh, they don't get sidetracked. They don't lose their way. They don't have it sans. Like, all these things that you could throw in there to create some sort of excitement in this journey across the desert just aren't there.
0: Yeah, and but, I'm like, angry. of course, one tried all sorts of games with oneself to try to make the time pass. And, of course, they were all no good. And one tried very hard not to think of drinks, iced sherbet in a palace in Tashban, clear spring water tinkling with a dark, earthy sound, cold, smooth milk, just creamy enough and not too creamy. And the harder you tried not to think, the more you thought. So we started with one. One tried all sorts of games Uh and transitioned to, and the harder you tried not to think, the more you thought. Yeah. There's
1: some interesting voice things in this chapter. One of them I want to point out in particular because I'm, you know, but like
0: if, if we didn't have this desert, we wouldn't have had all of these thoughts about all the nice things in Tashban. And it is a continuation of the temptations of Tashban.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, They have to
0: overcome adversity, leaving the place of plenty.
1: So we, yeah, we, it's boring. Yeah. We, we pretty much summarized the whole chapter, but let's get into a few other things. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if there's anything before that you wanted to get into, was Erebus getting to the tombs and reuniting with the rest of the crew. And she gets there, and she's just like, Brian Breein, you guys are here, and just starts kissing them and, like, rubbing their faces and being like, Armageddon, so happy. And then Shasta shows up, and she's just like, all right, so yeah, we're crossing this desert, right? Like, doesn't care that Shasta's there at all. Shasta could be dead. She's just like, yeah, I got myself, I got the horses, cool.
0: I think that's, she
1: cares. <sighs> um, doesn't even say hi, doesn't even say anything to him. She's just like, all right, guys, now that we're all here, <sighs> desert, I, I let's mean, run.
0: I feel like that's not entirely <laughs> accurate. I feel like it's just, um. yeah, I guess you're right.
1: Just and nonsense. here comes Shasta,
0: thanks be to the lion, said Bree. Erebus looked around, and there, right enough, was Shasta, who had come out of hiding, the moment he saw the groom going away, and now, said Erebus, there's not a moment to lose. And in <laughs> hasty words, she told them about Ash's expedition. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, I guess you have a point. hmm It's not until they actually mount up that Shasta says, no, I've got a plan. Like, that's the first words he says. I made a mark over here.
1: Yeah. And, like, even... In their, their dialogue in this chapter, they do have moments where they are speaking to each other, ostensibly, but it's uh, it's it's dialogue that could be said to empty space or to the group as a whole. Yeah. Like, the... There's no
0: intimacy in their yeah. conversation. Yeah, there is no...
1: There has been zero progress in the relationship between Erebus and Shasta Yeah. for this child. Like, they haven't gone anywhere, like, they're just as anim... You know, there's as much animosity there... As there was when they first met. And...
0: Yeah, we barely yeah. even acknowledge, like, Shasta had to spend a night in these tombs that are supposedly filled with ghouls, and Erevis just, like, has one sentence of acknowledging, like, that she was concerned about ghouls. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, let's go, let's get gone. And I'm sure Shasta was just as eager to get out of there.
1: And they don't tell each other their stories. Like, this isn't entirely Ere- Erebus's fault either, like, Shasta... Doesn't ask what took her of us so long. Well, she doesn't, tells
0: the whole story right then. It's in what I just read, it says that she told, tells them why they need to get going because of Rabidash. Like,
1: yes, but, how but, else
0: is she going to explain that?
1: Shafsa doesn't ask. He's just like, Urn Murmur, girl, where were you? Like, n- none of this stuff.
0: She just dives right in. She doesn't <laughs> give him the chance to ask.
1: Yeah. So it's just This like,
0: is what oversharers do. They don't let people care about them.
1: Oh. <laughs> Feel some judgment coming from over there on the uh, the other podcast seat. Um, so we get to the tombs, we set off in the desert. My
0: other podcast throne, you mean?
1: <laughs> the desert's boring and hot and, like, I don't know. I'm, I was just disappointed that there wasn't anything to talk about in this chapter because nothing happens in the desert. Mm. Like, well, it's... we're
0: setting up for a big set of temptation for Gwen and Bree mm-hmm. to not strive. Oh, well, for all of them. Like we're getting into when in Bree's dark night of the soul now where they're faced with this journey that's a slog through the desert that they can just hope to get over with. But then when they have the river and the rhododendrons and the fine grass, like they don't want to continue the journey. They're all like, no, we need to stay awake and not sleep and not sleep very long, but we need to get going. And then in the morning when they wake up, when like Bree is just like, no, we have time for food. And Erebus is like, no, we don't. And Brie Bri is just like, no, we have time for food. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to make time for food. We're on a shorter path anyway, aren't we? Uh, I don't think so. Well, we're going to eat anyway. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be the testing moment for Brie, at least. Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, we have the desert. It's hot and boring. It's boring and hot. Looks the same. Tashban stays in the same distance, doesn't get any further away or any closer. Uh, ominous. It You know, super ominous. Um, there is something that I want to touch on here, and this is just taking, you know, outside of the narrative of the chapter entirely. But there's this other moment uh, where C.S. Lewis does another fourth wall breaking thing again. This is not new. But I wanted to get into it with you because this is the line. Erebus said nothing and looked prim. Let's hope she didn't mean to, but she did. And this is my issue with that, and what I want to dive into, is that...
0: That has made an omniscient narrator an unreliable narrator. Yes. Just in that one sentence, you've destroyed all credibility for the narrator. We have completely
1: changed the voice of the narrator of this book.
0: And everything that he (laughs) says about Erebus can now be called into question. Any of her story, any of her adventure, any of her motives, all of it.
1: Yeah. And so that, that, that one stood out to me as, like, the linchpin that we pull that out and the whole thing just falls apart.
0: Yeah. Because, like, I mean, like, we also, the way that the sentence I read where it says oneself, like, he's talking like he himself was involved in this story. Like, uh he is Brie as narrator or something like that, you know, and just telling the story of, like... It's changed the narrator's voice this whole chapter. Yeah. Just in what I read and what you just read to almost be like coming from Bree or Brie's Saddlebag or something. You know, like this is the unconscious observer, the omniscient observer yeah. following along on this adventure.
1: Yeah. And I haven't I haven't done any research and I should have, but I had a busy day. I Haven't done any research into the context of Lewis having an editor in any of these books. Yeah. But I feel like this is the kind of thing that, were I being an editor, I would point out immediately. Like this is a glaring error. Yeah, like no. you changed the voice of the narration right here. Like no red pencil, don't do that. And that that you kinda, would use a pencil. No. <laughs> and that 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 brings into question, like I use a purple pen. And right? I feel like we should look into that. Like who was editing these books? Are they are they as much to blame as Lewis is for, you know? this writing style and what it turned into i don't know don't
0: know what to tell you on that one
1: (laughs) yeah um i'm sure steve has things to say about this that he's (laughs) going to share with us um but yeah i just wanted to point out that line because of like how much it threw me off of the whole thing uh so we cross the desert we try some games doesn't really matter they find a big rock that is the most exciting thing that happens in the desert they find a big rock
0: and they Take refuge in its they shade. they hang out in the shade minute.
1: for a hot minute and drink. Yep. And we talk about like how hard it is to get a horse to drink from a water skin.
0: Yes, but Brie and Quinn were good with their lips.
1: I wasn't going to mention anything about that line. <laughs> just, just,
0: <laughs> just pointing out the lines in the book, you know?
1: You know, if I'm ever in a position to buy a horse, it's going to be one of my questions I ask.
0: How are its lips?
1: How's its lips? Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is, it, is, it, is it good with its lips? Is yes, it good? And that's what I'm asked to leave the ranch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so it looks like nothing else is going to happen. Nothing's going to change. Um, and They start talking about the this path that Silo Pad had laid out before them, not intentionally, but he mentioned it. And that's another thing I want to touch on is the idea between the the quickest path there and the easiest path. Yeah. They chose the easiest path. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh like, there's slim pickings for story or, like, any kind of narrative, like, allegory or anything in this chapter. However, that's something that I think might be worth taking a look at.
0: I think, though, that they also... Because um, I feel like there's a big amount of intentionality in the description of this valley. Mm-hmm. That Salopat is giving this information Basically, directly to Shasta. Mm. Like, that this was a story element that needed to happen. And I don't think that it was in order for them to have the temptation of the easier way. I think that it was in order for them to have a way that they could actually survive. Because I feel like if they made it to the Oasis and fell asleep the way that they did, they would have woken up surrounded by Rabadash's forces. Uh But we don't know that for sure. We don't know where Rabidash's forces are at this point because we don't have an omniscient narrator.
1: Not anymore. He <sighs> we just done, went off somewhere. Uh, I think it's interesting to point out, though, because it is uh, breaking a trope that shows up in all sorts of fiction all over the place and in real life where, almost all the time, the the quickest way and the easiest way are synonymous.
0: Oh, I disagree about that. I think... I think that the whole point of having a quick versus easy is to show the difference of the hard work and the struggle and the overcoming. Like I feel like that's the whole, like the path to hell is paved with good intentions kind of idea or like the Mm -hmm. narrow gate versus the wide gate or something like that in, in biblical analogy and stuff like that. Like I feel like that's the whole easiest versus right and easiest versus hard and like faster i don't know like a a lot of it has to do with the intention like you can say easiest and faster are equated in situations where there is something else to be gained by taking the longer road or the harder road yeah but like easiest and quicker are not always synonymous yeah I i don't
1: know that's
0: i'm just I'm disagreeing with you.
1: That's yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming disagreement. I just thought that was uh, that was unique and worth pointing out that, you know, the easiest way and the quickest way are different things here. Yeah. Which are fascinating, I guess. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, so send us your thoughts about those readers, because we've exhausted all of those readers, listeners and readers, I guess, if you're reading along with us. Uh, we've exhausted all of our own thoughts, and we need yours. Um, <laughs> So they find a rock that takes shade, and they find, finally, this crag, this separation between the mountains that they've been looking for, which I guess is called a valley. Is it? That's a word. Um, Or a canyon. I don't... I've I've never really understood the difference between, like, a canyon and, like, a gulch and, like, a ravine and, like, all these words for, like, a crack between two land masses. Uh, So I don't really know what this one is. There is water at the bottom of it.
0: Well... Canyons are deeper than valleys and more narrow with steep sides. A ravine is a deep, narrow valley or gorge. So a ravine is a valley. um, Worn by running water, whereas a valley means an elongated depression between hills or mountains, um, often with a river flowing through it. But a ravine has to have a river flowing through it. Yeah, anyway, there's yeah. me quietly reading some dictionary <sighs> definitions for you.
1: This is thrilling radio. <laughs> so you find this craggy split between the mountains. Uh, we go into it. We find some muddy water that's exciting. I mean, it would be, like if you cross the desert for two days, which isn't that long of a journey.
0: They started at night, and they arrived there at night, so it was one day.
1: Yeah. So like
0: they rode through the night, yeah. rested at the rock in the middle of the day, and got there before the sun had set.
1: And I guess that's another thing I'm upset about because like this, or this, before midnight. Because there like is because no the moonlight showed them the water and the grass. So yeah, like maybe twenty seven hours. Yeah. So there is no like epic journey here that we've gone on. Like I feel like when you're like, all right, we got across cross the desert but the desert is a thing that like in this scenario you could cross it and not even take water with you and be fine yeah like you don't even need supplies like 25 26 hours you can get across it
0: yeah so what what is is salopad talking about (laughs) with strategy and having to like the oasis not being enough to sustain an army like
1: and that's the thing that I feel is really inconsistent because they do have that whole conversation. They're like, oh, yeah, there's this natural barrier for getting into Arkenland because they got across the desert. Like, two dumb kids can do it in a day.
0: Yes. Also, but, however, like, if you're crossing that desert with the intent of war, uh-huh. you would have to exhaust your entire uh, army because every individual person would have to carry... Like, you would have to sleep at night. You couldn't You couldn't do it in a straight 27-hour shot to get two-thirds of the way through. So we're talking, like, this is a 36 hours journey straight through. Yeah. You can't just do that with an army of soldiers and then go attack the capital, like, five hours later. Like, yeah. they would have to have rest. They would have to have supplies. We're talking about three days' worth of supplies that you would have to have in order to be able to rest and travel and rest and travel. And be rested enough to just go battle. Because they're talking about going straight in to battle.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. I mean, like, the army would be seen coming a ways off from Arkenland yeah. Like, it's not like you can sneak up on someone across the desert. Yeah. You might be able to sneak up on someone across the desert if you go up the valley. Yeah. And Salopad might be talking about important strategic information if they wanted to sneak up on Arkenland, but...
1: Yeah. This made it feel, like, not as extreme.
0: Yeah, no, it, absolutely. It's,
1: it's just like, it, oh, hey, yeah. like, you know, Pennsylvania could never, like, mount an attack against New York because they'd have to go through New Jersey first. Like, <laughs> uh, and no, nobody's making it across that. <sighs> so, yeah, we find the crag in the valley. We find a little Revere, Revere... Ravine, Paul River. <laughs> we find Paul Revere. He's a character in this book. Uh, we find trees. We find grass. It's basically like an oasis, but not.
0: Cause um, it's along a river. He maketh me to lie down by quiet waters. And the horses get tired. I mean, they were tired. Uh, they got tired from the trot, walk, trot.
1: And we have this, <laughs> and we have this really fun conversation about like, you know how if it were up to somebody that weren't the horses, they could probably go further, and, like, they need some sort of...
0: Oh, my, my, my. Let's talk about that (laughs) sentence. Oh, oh, you had had
1: something? I had something. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right, so Bree wants to stop and eat, and they're like, we need to go, and he's like, "Mm, I think, ma'am, said Bree very crushingly, that I know a little more about campaigns and forced marches and what a horse can stand than you do. To this, Wynne made no answer, being, like most highly bred mares, a very nervous and gentle person who was easily put down. <laughs> In reality, she was quite right, and if Bree had had a tar can on his back at that moment to make him go on, he would have found that he was good for several hours hard going. But one of the worst results of being a slave and being forced to do things is that when there is no one to force you anymore, you find you have almost lost the power of forcing
1: yourself? There's a lot to unpack in this in these few sentences. So, <laughs> the sound effects. Um, that wasn't Foley. Where Kristen was actually setting a book there. Crazy. What? <laughs> um, so yeah. So let, I I want, I did want to touch on the uh, I use that phrase way too much. I did want to talk about the whole being a, a mare of good breeding thing, which means that, you know, when is is obviously like doesn't speak her mind and knows when to shut up.
0: And is easily put down. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: And that's what, that's what signifies a good mare. <laughs> I don't know if Lewis is trying to say anything more than that here, but, uh, but she was right.
0: Yeah, she was right. He's like, oh yeah, she was totally right. <laughs> and also, If Bree had had a tar can on his back, he would have found that he was totally capable of continuing to go on for a good long, a good hard ride. Yeah. And.
1: That's the danger of freeing slaves.
0: Yes! Like, (laughs) this is the part that made me so angry. Just because, and and I wrote in the, I think I wrote in the margin something as simple as, well, that's a thing. Um. But yeah, the worst result of being a slave and being forced to do things is when that there is no one to force you anymore. You find you have almost lost the power of forcing yourself. So this is so amazingly not not just harsh and judgmental and dismissive of any person who's been a slave's experience. But also, like, of any accomplishment that, the, that that people who have been in this position and have overcome it have been able to get their freedom, have been able to escape from that, mm-hmm. have been able to change systems or, or just run away, whatever it is that needed to happen. Like, this is C.S. Lewis himself saying those people, their accomplishments are not as much as they could have been if someone had been forcing them to do it because they've lost the ability to force themselves to do things like how dismissive and passive aggressive is that like how do you I like yeah I can't even like let myself get completely wound up by that because I'm going to cuss
1: yeah and I don't know I I, I feel like there's not a lot of forgiveness here for like cultural differences because like while c.s lewis wasn't american uh he was an englishman and, and you know did not have this like immediate history of slavery being a thing that was uh a part of the country's foundations like colonial britain still did a lot of real questionable stuff like there weren't necessarily as many slaves in england proper but they had a lot of dealings in other countries that were uh not above board and so you know Lewis, as a learned man, is very familiar with, like, the, uh, the evils of, like, slavery and oppression that have happened Yeah, because of his just, own people. Uh, so, it, it's an interesting point to make. It's, it, uh, I mean, it's, it's,
0: uh, it's not even trying to make a point. It's no. just sitting there saying, this character was lazy uh-huh. because he just wanted to exercise his freedom. <laughs> Because he just wanted to be self-determining and he wanted what he wanted because he wanted it. And that's all. He needs some more grass. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yep. One of the more controversial uh, lines in this book that we've encountered so far. I Golly think.
0: <laughs> gee, I don't even know what to do with this. Like it upset me in like a sincere way when I read it. I was just like, I'm glad this is two sentences before the end of the chapter because I don't know how to how to keep reading this book after a statement like that.
1: So, I know that we're not done and we're not like wrapping the book up yet, obviously, but you know, halfway through this book, when was the last time that you read through A Horse and His Boy, age wise?
0: 13, 14, 15, so it, somewhere in there.
1: So, it's been at least 15 years. Yes. Yeah. now. So, just at a have, min- yeah, have, at have,
0: minimum.
1: You know, as somebody who hasn't read the book before, I can't say this myself, but have you had an interesting experience, you know, contrasting what you thought the book was?
0: Oh, yes.
1: To what the book is reading in
0: that Oh, yes. It's been a very, very uh, interesting experience so with all of the books.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: like Magician's Nephew, I always had a problem with. Like no, no, nothing was revealed to me in that. But like, I feel like I got a lot uh, out of reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, The Wardrobe with you. I feel like I've got some new fan theories. I have a whole <laughs> new respect for Tumness as the little finger of that entire <laughs> kingdom. Uh-huh. And um, I, this book was one of my, was what was up there. It was, it was, it wasn't what, it was probably in my top three of the seven books in the series. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely lost some ground there with a lot of the issues that I feel like it's brought up in a very, like, poorly handled way, even as a product of its time. Uh Like, I feel like it's got some serious issues in it that whether they need, whether they need to be handled in a specific way or not, I don't know. Like, is there a redemptive quality to this book? We're going to have to get to the end before I decide whether or not this book is redeemable. Mm -hmm. But like, no, I definitely have a very different experience reading it now And compared with what I remember this book to be. I remember this book being boring. Like, I do remember that.
1: You're mostly mostly not wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is something I do remember about this book. Like, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, I didn't like reading books to begin with. And I definitely didn't enjoy putting any effort into reading. And this was a book that required effort. Therefore, not a good book for me. Yeah. So...
1: Uh, I feel like the at this point, like uh, the pacing is definitely not as good as uh, language in the wardrobe. Yeah, per- per- personally, to me,
0: it was uh, it was going really well with yeah. the pacing, kind of until this chapter. It like and then the backpedaling that happened between Shasta's experience at the tombs and then going back to hearing Erebus's
1: story. Yeah, like we, we kind of lost the plot a little bit.
0: Yeah, that that's where it kind of lost its forward momentum for me and the pacing is now feeling off. Yeah. Um, Part of that has to do with the fact that we're reading it one chapter a week for the discussion. Yeah. And so when there is a chapter that kind of doesn't move the plot forward, we're very attuned to it as opposed to someone who is just sitting
1: and reading this in one sitting. It is noticeable. Yeah. Um, So before we move on to our rewrites, is there anything else you wanted? I think I covered everything I wanted to to talk about. Is there anything else you wanted to jump? I mean, into? there
0: wasn't any like weird sentences or questions. Like, I just I really wanted to talk about that sentence where like he completely dismisses Bree as being someone who's easy to talk down to, and all because of her gentleness and her well breeding. And Quinn. Sorry, uh-huh. did I say Arvis You said Bree. Oh, Bree. <laughs> so anyway, Quinn. <laughs> And then when Brie, when he shames Brie as lazy because he's free,
1: yeah,
0: like we've already had this kind of sass about the people who are the free people of Narnia. That is like, but it was coming from Rabadash and the Tissrock saying like, "Oh, they're a thorn in our side. These free creatures in Narnia who think that they're free. That is to say that they're." Um, unproductive and like three other things in his list that is incredibly unflattering to say about an entire people and an entire nation Uh who prides themselves on being free. Uh And then you have Brie who's striving for freedom, has gained his freedom as far as he has gotten away from Toshbon. And the first thing that Lewis says about him is, yeah, well, he's free now. He's lazy. Like, I'm sorry, who's the narrator now? <laughs> Did it just suddenly become Rabbit Ash?
1: No, Tisrock just took over. In the yeah, middle of the...
0: Tisrock just walked in and was yeah. like, get out of the way. I'm writing this story now. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Grand Vizier is like, and as the poets say, the freed slave is a lazy man. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, no.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: No. Like, even if you were giving this as an aspirational tale to children, which I will remind you is how it's written, Mm -hmm. you are then creating an example to children that slaves ought not be freed. Yep. That is an arguable takeaway from this book. Yeah.
1: Really wish I could uh, talk to Lewis about these things. He was still around. I was sending a couple emails. What were you really thinking here? Yeah. Um... (laughs) Start tweeting angrily at Jim Butcher because um, <laughs> he doesn't get enough of those. um Yeah, so um, do we want to go ahead and move into the rewrite? Because I think we covered pretty much everything. Like, not a lot of plot happens here, not a lot of character development, but I'll cover more of that in my review.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's go for it. Okay. All right. So you did your uh, summary first. I'm going to go ahead and do my rewrite first. Oh, the
1: rewrite was so much easier. I have th- that is the one redeeming quality of this entire chapter.
0: So Chris has been going through all of the chapters in this book, attempting to write one continuous story in his rewrites, Mm -hmm. where each each chapter is adding five more sentences to the existing story. So when he reads his, he will read last week's five sentences, followed by this week's five sentences to tell his story. I'm not doing that. I'm just doing a five-sentence rewrite, of uh, pulling sentences out of this chapter yeah. and writing a new story each week. I'm never week. doing this again. <laughs> You've tried to do it twice and given up on both of them. Well, so I'm doing this it is... this time. It just... Yep. So I'm going to go ahead and read my rewrite first, and then you can do your ten sentences.
1: Sure.
0: Then suddenly the sun rose and everything changed in a moment. Everyone felt better. Erebus decided it was no occasion for mercy. I'm afraid we can't wait, said Erebus. No, said Brie, very slowly.
1: Use two of my sentences again. (laughs) I am trying a single story, and this is the second week in a row you've used two of the sentences in common with me in your rewrite.
0: They're good sentences! Uh...
1: Okay it just remove some of the impact of what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> uh, but what is I your... mean it
0: does if you tell if you tell everyone before you read it that I use two of them.
1: So you try to reimagine the chapter and reinterpret things to the lend of lens of your rewrite. What did you get here?
0: Um, what you... I really don't know. I mean <laughs> like Erevis was an antagonistic character and Bree was defiant to her. That's that's about it. Like mm-hmm. it was just a turning of. Things got lighter, and then suddenly everything got darker. As Erebus said, this is no occasion for mercy. Yeah. So. All
1: right, so we'll go, we'll go uh, let's do my last week's sentences. Here, those are. I must have her. The cool, placid voice in which he spoke these words made Erebus' blood run cold. You shall say that I did it without your knowledge and against your will and without your blessing being constrained by the violence of my love and the impetuosity of youth. For I must have her as my wife, though she shall learn a sharp lesson first. This very night and in this hour, I will take but two hundred horse and ride across the desert. And moving into this week. Ervis looked round and there right... Ride- Erebus looked round, and there, right enough, was Shasta, who had come out of hiding the moment he saw the groom going away. Erebus decided it was no occasion for mercy. Sorry, Bree, he gasped. No, said Bree very slowly. But in the end, she had to give in to Erebus.
0: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> things are heating up in your story Uh uh-huh. um yeah <laughs> it's going i mean considering the fact that you only have uh what chapter 10 11 12 13 14 50 you only have six more rewrites yep you got to get gotta, this story going Got
1: to wrap this up um
0: so do you have anything else you wanted to share about your story
1: it was pretty self-explanatory. I'll, huh. I'll, I'll go into a lot of the analyzing and what I was trying to do when I actually go through the whole thing in our wrap-up episode. Okay. okay. But.
0: Um, so with that said, I had one more thing I wanted to kind of go back on and and that I had forgotten I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. This is the representation of the four main characters of... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as reflected by the characters of the horse and his boy. Okay. Because it was this moment in which Quinn is described as a very nervous and gentle person mm-hmm. that immediately struck in my head the Susan the Gentle title of Su- Queen Susan. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how we might compare these four characters to the four Siblings of the Pevensies and kings and queens of Narnia, mm-hmm. and how we might kind of line up and say that maybe, um, you know, Shasta is Lucy and maybe Brie is Edmund, and I'd
1: say Brie is Peter, but
0: you think Brie is Peter?
1: I'd say Aerithus is Edmund.
0: I don't think so. See, I think Erebus is, I think Erebus is Peter. I think Erebus is the Magnificent. And I think that Shasta is Lucy or, or vice versa. But I think that they are the two humans are Lucy and Peter. And I think that the two horses are Susan and Edmund, but I don't know. I just, I just want to throw that out there as kind of like a reflective moment and maybe seeing where we go from there as to whether or not C.S. Lewis has just got a four character um, script that he puts new names in,
1: uh-huh.
0: you know, because we have, I'm taking it as Lucy is the introductory character, Shasta, the next character that gets into Narnia is Edmund Bree. Yeah. And then we have um, Susan and Peter joining together. Yeah.
1: Personality trait wise, I'm not sure that exactly matches up, but I I get you. I get what you're coming from. Yeah,
0: I think think what we have right here in the river, though, where we have this moment of like completely breaking down Bree as no longer being noble, but being lazy because he's free, which is upsetting uh, in many ways. (laughs) But I think that that is a reflection of this kind of betrayal of Edmund.
1: And grass is just his Turkish delight. Yeah, (laughs) like
0: the grass and the rhododendrons are his Turkish delight. Uh Uh-huh. So I, I don't know, but like it might be it might be worth exploring a little bit more or just keeping in the back of our head as we go on with this now unreliable narrator. All
1: right. Um, so let's go ahead and do our review. Sorry, I just thought I am going to bring up at the end. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, work into our review here, since that's the last segment of the show. And it's what I like to do. And, you know, because I have to categorize everything in my life and put it in neat little boxes. Um, so, so go
0: ahead, Chris, give us your closing thoughts, arguments, and concerns, and rate this chapter for us on a scale from one to five punts.
1: One to five Um,
0: yeah. Or one to five of LaSaroline's dresses? Or one to five mouthfuls of grass?
1: Mouthfuls of grass. No, Perhaps that's who rocks I was. in the middle of the desert. No punts is fine. Uh, I'm just trying not to say that word wrong. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I've been complaining about this chapter the entire time, obviously. Uh, I didn't like it. I thought it was slow. I thought nothing happened. We didn't have any character development. I thought that there was so much opportunity for something to go right here. It just didn't, uh... But also nothing went wrong. And, like, it subverted my expectations for the book in a bad way. Like, nothing went wrong, Um, like I said, the one redeeming part of this chapter was how easy it was for me to rewrite into my own story, which I don't think it (laughs) says anything good about the book in general. Um, I I really just didn't like it. I didn't like the, I mean, Lewis was trying to do something different, I guess, with like, not the onomatopoeia, but like the stream of consciousness kind of like, thing that he did where it's like oh squeak 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 headache etc etc this is how the desert is and he was trying to go for something different there yay for him i guess it kind of for trying something new but jingle
0: jingle jingle yeah squeak squeak it, squeak
1: yeah it just didn't feel in place in this book uh yeah i don't know um one and a half puns out of five okay. Was, wow, Yeah, that's one, harsh. That's one of my lowest ratings yet. Uh, yeah. I just did not like this chapter. Mm.
0: I give it a rock for shade in the noonday sun. Which is to say, no shade.
1: Wow, that's a much more positive review than I gave it.
0: I mean, I'm throwing all the shade. I'm just saying that it doesn't do its job well.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got. You want to close this out
0: yeah you had something funny
1: you thought of that Uh, you wanted to share so
0: you had a little giggle
1: so I have finally come up with something to replace the uh the wipe your sword bit oh yes yeah um I have I have come up with a better saying uh sleeping in your saddle no but I'm gonna spring it on you so I get your genuine genuine reaction but why don't you go ahead and take us out
0: all right Thank you so much for listening, y'all. We've been a uh, Chronically Podcast. This has been Chapter uh, 9 of The Horse and His Boy. Join us next week for Chapter 10, The Hermit of the Southern Marsh. March. March? Mm-hmm. March. The Hermit of the Southern March. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably not the month, but you know.
1: Is, is this the one where we meet Tom Bombadil?
0: Yes. Absolutely. I was waiting. Yep. <laughs> and it's the four- it's uh, Samwise and Merry and Pippin and Frodo. Yep. And the four of them have stumbled across Tom Bombadil. <laughs> and he's going to protect them from the white wraiths and the trees that try to eat them. Yep. It's a good time. It's, a really, it's really my favorite part of the story. I can't <laughs> wait to get into next week uh-huh. in the chapter. Um, so thank you again so much for joining us today. We will be back again next week with more fun antics in Narnia. Or, you know, the desert outside Arkenland, wherever it may be that we are. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at chronicallypodcast or uh, on Twitter at Chronically pod. We'll be putting up that poll, um, if I remember what it is when I'm editing this. And you can also email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com where you can send us your illustrations of the shade thrown by a giant rock in the middle of the desert. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, if that's all, on behalf of uh, my co-host here, uh, don't drug your maid and...
1: Always grease those oats.
0: (laughs) I I was going to try to bring that sentence up. (laughs) We'll grease his oats and we'll... (laughs) Be rabidash to Archenland. We'll grease his own.
1: I like that so much better than Winter Sword. So <laughs> switching.
0: All right. See ya. Nice. Bye. Hello, <laughs> and welcome to chronically Narnia. Uh, I am. Uh, well, I should talk about what we're doing here. Uh, what? Can I get for you a shot of espresso, really quick? I mean, if you can make espresso appear in this house that has no espresso machine, I would be all for watching that happen.
1: Mm-hmm. How are you, Kristen?
0: I'm Kristen, also known as Squeak, Squeak, Squeak. And this is my co host.
1: Oh man, I committed a sin. I I named you before you introduced yourself. You did. Yeah, I did. Gosh, we gotta cut that out and yep. do this whole thing. All right.
0: And we are currently discussing chapter uh, something nine. of something. Chapter nine. I am Queen Kristen. <laughs> Not, tell chronically me.
1: Not telling you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and.